Good morning. Happy Sabbath. My name is Donnie Viverka, and I had the privilege of being a task force youth pastor here from uh, 93 to 94. Uh, I was about 16 months in there. Yeah, well, thank you. And it is my honor and privilege to be back here with you this morning. I uh, was flooded with memories as we uh, prepared for this weekend. Um, it, has, it seems like almost though that I've never really fully left ministry at the Richland Church because a lot of your kids are still friends of mine. Um, your children that now have children of their own and are approaching the age of what they were when I was here. So it has been an immense blessing to have grown up here a bit. In fact, it was about where George is sitting that one Sabbath evening we were having some meetings and I remember saying um, that someday I will enjoy bringing my kids and telling them that this is where I began my interest in pastoral ministry. So kids, right here on this platform is where I gave my very first sermon and it was terrible. Terrible. And Keeney Mitchell was kind enough to invite me back years later to do a youth event. Keeney, where are you? Do you remember that? And um, I got the best compliment I've ever received in ministry. I was standing right about here, and one of the saints, as she came by, she didn't even pause. She just kept walking, and all she said was, You've gotten better. That's the best compliment I've ever been given. But while I was here, I had the immense pleasure of being mentored by George Sova. George and his family arrived here in 89, and George pastored this congregation very well, in my opinion, for eight years before being called elsewhere, much to the chagrin of those who were left behind. But uh, I can tell you that George taught me a lot of life, life lessons as well as, as well as spiritual truth. Um, some that were a little bit of both. I will tell this story. There was one day, I don't know if you know this about George, but he can be a little fiery. Is that, a, is that an appropriate way to put it? his Greek heritage and he and Diane were disagreeing about something at home and my parents having just have uh, having gone through a divorce I was a little worked up myself George you probably don't have any recollection of this and George kind of huffed off down the stairs because when I was here I lived with Sova's and he went into his office and I followed him in and in pleading, I said, I said, George, you can't, no, you, you don't, look, you have to go back and you have to apologize, you can't. And he said, look, you need to know something. I love my wife more than life itself. If I have to give my life to save hers, I will do it. But right now, I'm mad. <laughs> and you know what's funny? In that moment, I saw humanity the reality 
that it didn't have to be what my experience had been. That I can disagree, I can be upset, but love is what conquers all of that. So thank you, George, for teaching and for leading and for being back here to speak with us. But before George comes up to speak, I think it's only fitting and appropriate that a former youth pastor invite some current youth. So Nolan and Alicia Stout will lead us in scripture this morning. Ephesians three fourteen to 21. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What is this? Awesome. Great. I was wondering, because, you know, I'm still a manuscript. No, that's not going to work. Good morning. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happened to this church, but I remember... Something. Well, before we do that, let's pray, gosh. I don't, um, gracious Lord, <laughs> you reign. You reign in our hearts, our lives, our minds, our families, our communities, our world. You reign. And I pray as I stand here today that I will not get in the way of that reign. But speak through me. I pray that all the listeners will just free themselves of any distractions and baggage and listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that sound. I love that sound. That's the sound of a healthy church. Truly. So don't let it distract you. Just praise God that, that young people are coming to this church. I what a scene that was. I do have to ask a question this morning. What happened? There was a time when we had this great big controversy in my tenure here over clapping and non-clapping. <laughs> there were the clappers on one side and the non-clappers on the other side. And to have this 
Oh, that was a dream that was far, far away. Thank you. Thank you. I, I think, what? I have to ask, who had an epiphany, Len? I mean, what happened? How did you come to this? I mean, this is, was a dream I had, and I, I, I turned around and nobody was following. <laughs> and I go, oh, let's get back to the way things were. But thank you. Thank you. I was brought into the very presence of God through music today. I love it. So I felt very comfortable. This is, in fact, I'd rather be dressed like you, Jesse, than, than this. I, I started to wear jeans today, and uh, I'm going to introduce my wife to you. But she looked at me and goes, hmm, probably not. <laughs> so who won that argument? <laughs> Catherine, would you stand? This is my wife, Catherine. Uh, We've been married a couple years now, and I guess in February we'll be working on three, right? Yeah. I have to remember that because it was on February 14th that we got married. Never forget that. And Donnie, thank you for the introduction. Um, I have stories to tell about you, too. I don't know if I want to, though. <laughs> wow, a lot has changed over the years. I don't have hair anymore. I saw some pictures in that room where I actually had hair. And when I was, it's interesting because when I was in academy, I had a full head of hair. And I had a Bible teacher in academy. This was Lodi Academy way back when in the dark ages. He did not like the way I combed my hair. You know, I had a full head of hair. Like, you, know, you know how the 60s people comb their hair, you know. <laughs> You know, you know like, like Fonzie or something, you know. <laughs> and he didn't like the way I combed my hair, so um, he would come out to my house in the morning and teach me how to comb my hair. For a week he did that until my dad kicked him out. So when I got to Idaho, guess who was pastoring the Caldwell Church but Bill... I won't say his last name. Who was my Bible teacher in academy? <laughs> and he comes up to me and says, puts his hands on my shoulder. George, I am so sorry. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> we, we make such big deals out of nothing. I mean, 20 years later and, you know, years later, who cares? I don't have hair to worry about. So What? So what? I mean, it just happens all the time. We be, you know, we all change. And this church has changed. I, I love the openness to worship and praise. I mean, I don't know what, what it took for the cognitive guys to let the kinesthetics have their way. But wow, what an experience that has been. I, I'm just, I really, I really love it. I have some... Uh, some really good memories of my tenure here at Richland, especially with people that I fell in love with and rubbed shoulders with on a regular basis. And I have to tell you that it, it, it is their eternal, eternal friend. It was like coming home again to see some of you. You've changed a little bit too, like me. Uh, but memories that include working with an excellent leadership team. I, I was blown away by that. 
some of the some of the dreamers and others of you were able to put flesh and bones on some really significant dreams. And I learned a lot from that. Uh, they were frustrating times for me because I discovered that uh, some left-brainers, the first thing they did when you, when you, when you approach a, a dream is to tear it apart. I don't know, is that an engineering thing? It's got to be. You, you, you just you, you undo it, and then you put it back together again. And, and I have to say, I learned that that's good. That is a good thing. I was taught well. I was able to take those lessons and apply them in a new and challenging setting in Idaho because I went to a very small, small setting, a church plant. And uh, I had a vision, but my journey there took me into areas both personally and professionally that uh, I leaned on what I gleaned from the leadership here. They really didn't have, a, there weren't a lot of leaders uh, where I went, and so I had to start going to school to be what I wasn't. Anyway, it, uh, it was a good thing. But my vision for church uh, has drastically changed over the years. It's been, what, 20, I was, I, I was, I've been at Oasis for 21 years in one church. That's unheard of. They didn't know what to do with me, so they just left me there. And, and I had fun. But over those years, my ministry has had to change. It had to adapt. It had to, it had to become culturally relevant in order to stay viable and, 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 and exciting. So I've changed. And I have to say, if churches are going to continue another 50 years, which, you know, it's okay if we do, uh, we're going to have to become culturally relevant like this, and very continue to be biblically sound. That's a good thing. Uh, so every so often our vision needs to be tweaked and revisited and touched again and, and added to and taken away. It's interesting that the text you chose for me today was from Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. My experience with that book first came when I was a student pastor in, in Calistoga, California. I was, I was a, I'm a PUC graduate. <laughs> yeah, back in those days, we were very conservative. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I was a student pastor, and I was giving Bible studies to some dear lady, much older than me, and I was trying to help her to become an Adventist. You know, teaching her the sanctuary doctrine and the state of the dead and all those things that we believe in. And she, she turned to me and said, George, why don't we look at Ephesians? Why don't we study the book of Ephesians? She was so sweet and so loving and so kind. I said, okay. And I tell you, it has rocked my world. When I read that because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, be, even though we were dead? That, that was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, it took my breath away, literally. It just overwhelmed me with the good news that for by grace you have been saved. This not of yourselves, it is God's gift to you. 
No strings. You can't add to it or take away from it. Nothing. And I was so excited. One day, I was teaching a Sabbath school class in this church, and I, I was sharing my, my discovery from this lady who was supposed to be coming an Adventist, but she wasn't, and she would never be. But she was a great Christian woman. And I was sharing that experience and, and how, how exciting the gospel is and how refreshing it is to know that you're embraced and loved by God regardless. No strings. And back in the back of the church, somebody raised their hand, and it was the conference president. And he said, but you know, you can't be saved unless you worship on Sabbath. And that was like, it was like a big deflate for me. Now, I have to tell you, if you worship on Sabbath because you have to, you're missing out on the gift that God has for you. Don't do it. It would be better for you not to do it, really, seriously. Because you can't add to or take away from anything that Jesus has done for you already. You can't. And if you're worshiping on Sabbath to make sure that that stays in place, you're missing out. Sabbath was meant to enjoy. God It's a gift to us that God gave us because he loves us. So that's my Ephesians experience. And I have to ask the, the question in, in chapter 3, when we read that, those precious children read that. It, it, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Your theme is roots and wings. Does the Holy Spirit's promise here, I pray that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, does that apply to everyone? Does it? It's through faith, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, but let me ask a different question then. Can one have strong faith and weak theology and still receive the promise. Can you? Strong faith, willingness to listen to God, but weak theology and still receive the power of His Spirit through, through His Spirit in your inner being, the power of Jesus. Can you have that? I mean, <clears throat> there's a group of people in, in Boise, they're called the Word of Faith, and they are strong believers in prayer. Strong believers. They have great faith. In fact, so much so, they only believe in prayer. They don't believe in medicine. So, when a child gets sick, they don't go to the doctor. They pray. And the saddest thing is that, that on their campus is a cemetery. And it's full, since 1970, it's full of graves of children that could have been healed just by simply taking a medicine that I believe God gave us the ability to create. You know, does that group of people who have strong faith, but I believe they have a weak theology, do they receive this promise? Yes, they do. And in fact, um, I, I perceive your minds might be going into overdrive here and trying to challenge me, and I'm used to that. 
Um, as you think through this, I want to introduce you to a story of a man. One of my favorite stories comes from the book of Judges. Judges, uh, next to Ephesians, is one of my favorite books because it's so contemporary. You know, it, it speaks uh, in, in a culture of way back when, but the stuff they're struggling with is very much like what we struggle with. So if you turn to the book of Judges, chapter 11, we're going to look at the story of a man named, named Jephthah. And you probably know this story inside and out, but I'm going to review it with you anyway. Um, way back. Now, it says in the scripture that Jep Jephthah was a judge in Israel. And I don't mean a black-robed jurist sitting on a bench somewhere. Um, the judges in that time in that ancient world were, um, they were military commanders sometimes. They were uh, political leaders. They were semi-religious. They, they were charismatic. And, and there were people that... that had weak theology, but God raised them up and used them anyway. Because they had a willingness to listen. A willingness to say, okay, God, I'll do it, even though I don't understand everything. And Jephthah, like all the other judges, he was a product, a man of his culture. He was a man of his times. And, and you know the stories in Judges, they were anything but good. There was nothing good about what was going on in Judges. During those days, the, the people of, of Israel were kind of going through the death valley of their, of their experience. And, and verse 6 of chapter 10 says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Again. The, again this is like the sixth time in this book that they've turned their backs on Jehovah. And, and this is the sixth time they brought other gods into their worship. And they would amalgamate these, the, the practices of these other gods into their practice, and, you know, it was really confusing. Uh, they all, from all over the nations of Israel, and coming under the influence of these false gods, they adopted a lifestyle and practices that were just horrible, uh, as they identified with the worship and belief of these particular gods. It included everything unspeakable that I don't even want to talk about. One was child sacrifice. Uh, they would take uh, a child, firstborn, and they would sacrifice that child to the, to the gods because then they would be blessed. Well, that's the, that's the, the, the setting where these people were worshiping and amalgamating Jehovah and, and all these practices. And they actually, they, you know, they stood in stark contrast to, to God's clear command to not have other gods before him. And that was, that was for a good reason, because of these ritual cultures. So, for most of 20 years, God chose to let them be. And then he responds. He allows the Philistines to come in, and he allows the Ammonites to, to gnaw away from the east, and, and they, the, the Ammonites felt they had a legitimate claim to Israel, so they started warring with them. Finally, in their brazenness, they, they even attacked the central tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and the people were hurt, and they were being plundered, and the pain was deep, and they had a lot of regrets. And regrets were sent to God. But, you know, regret's not repentance. Um, re regret is like uh, discovering that your deeds have consequences. <laughs> you know, oops. Uh, so they send their regrets to God, and God sends his regrets back to them. In chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Go and cry to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you in time of trouble. So finally they, they repented in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 10. They put away their gods, they reorient their lives, and they start worshiping Jehovah again. 
And the text says that God heard their cries, took pity on them, and raised up a man named Jephthah. Jephthah is a mighty warrior, verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 1 says, Jephthah the, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. Wow. You know, <laughs> the Bible that, who was, who was speaking before you? Uh, anyway, this morning, he held up the Bible and said, this book has the answers. Yeah, I would. that's true. That's very true. This, the Bible that we read is primarily the story about God. That's primary. And it comes in narrative form. It comes in story form. And every one of you has a story. If the Bible were to be written today, your story might be included in, in, in that book. And it's how God works with people created in his image. Okay? And Jephthah. Sounds interesting. Uh, God has all kinds of, of leaders, and but his qualifications for leadership is a bit different <laughs> than ours, you know. God, God's leaders are kind of like the block of marble that, that David was created out of by Michelangelo. God's, God sees something that we don't see. And er, every one of the leaders in this time was fashioned by uh, their circumstances, their culture, their, their belief systems, just like we are today. But God sees something different. And his style of leadership, his, his, his fashioning is very different than the environment in which we live. God fashions something he sees that we don't see. So Jephthah is a man of his times. He's fashioned in a very difficult cultural environment. By anybody's standards, his family was what we call, the, the trendy word, uh, dysfunctional, extremely so. And his father was uh, a man named Gilead, and he evidently was a leader, and Gilead had a one-night stand with a prostitute. She gets pregnant. Gilead lets her hang around until the baby's gone, and then she, he kicks her out. So Jephthah, born into this family, born into this environment. And you can imagine, he had three strikes against him already. His, Gilead's wife must have looked at that baby and go, oh, no, oh, no. Can you imagine there was not a lot of love expressed there? But there was the interesting thing about that, that attitude spilled over into the kid's life, and, and when Jephthah would, was grazed and growing up, he went out to play with his brothers and, and the other kids in the community, and he was rejected. He said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. I can imagine there was a lot of anger in this young boy's heart, and I imagine he cried a lot of tears. And, and I want you to just... Think about that for a minute, how painful Jephthah's childhood must have been. That's a lot of baggage to carry around. Your mother was a prostitute. You don't belong here. God sees people and circumstances differently than we do. And instead of this block of marble being fashioned by circumstances, and culture, and a very angry boy emerging, God sees a man created in his own image. I want you to really let that wash over him for a minute. Because God sees potential in Jephthah. 
his own family could not fathom because people created in God's image matter to him. Now I have to ask you a question about that. I believe it is our spiritual DNA that we're God's children. That applies to every single human being ever existed, that ever existed on this earth. Do you agree with that? Or, or, or do you have to become a follower of Jesus to become a child of God? I had an argument with somebody the other night. We were at dinner with somebody, and we were talking about this. But I believe that because, unless you believe you crawled out of the primordial ooze somewhere, and you, you, you were created, and there's a DNA of God in you. Out. Ooh, that, maybe that's too, maybe that's too new agey. I don't know. But we're, there's a spiritual DNA that, we're all, that connects us all. So people created in God's image are important to him. He loves people. All people. Not just some, but all people that ever existed on this earth. Well, this, this little boy, Jephthah, grows up to be an, uh, an incorrigible youth. And, uh, and, and as soon as he's old enough, he leaves his community. He heads for a place called, of all places, Tob. Why he chose that, I don't know. But the text says he becomes a leader of a band of adventurers. And, I mean, he really becomes a leader of a gang. He has talent. And it's interesting, if a gang is attacking your enemies, then they're freedom fighters. But if they're attacking you, they're really bad gangs, thugs. Jephthah, out of this chaotic, angry, messed up background, emerges as this mighty warrior, the text says. And he has a reputation, everybody knows about him back in Gilead, and they decide, hey, they have, they're fighting the, the Ammonites, and... They don't want to fight the Ammonites. They don't have a leader to fight the Ammonites. So they get together and they say, what, let's look at Jephthah. He, he'd probably be a good leader. Now these are some of the same guys that probably grew up with him and thought, well, you know, let's go. His name gets tossed in the head anyway. And again and again, his name is mentioned about, let's go see about Jephthah. And the boy they had looked down upon, now they're going to, uh, make him to be a champion. They want to defeat the Ammonites. So the elders get a, a committee together. Let's go talk to him. Let's see if bygones can be bygones. And old hatreds can go away. And uh, they, they invite him to, to be a leader. And in verse 7, in Judges 11, it says, <laughs> Jephthah, you know, after he hears their spiel, he says, didn't you hate me and drive me away from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Fair enough. Fair enough. They, of course, assured him that things had changed, and after hearing their plea, he says, all right, I'll come back. But look, I don't want to come back and just win your battle and then have, be, have to leave again. And they said, no, no, no. You can be a judge for life. So he says, Okay. So he comes back, this mighty man of valor, and to lead this people against the Ammonites. And, and just as an aside, here's some interesting insights into Jephthah's character. He's not just a man who wants to fight. He's a man of peace. The first thing he does, he writes a letter to the king of the Ammonites saying, explain to him that he has no right to the land, really. So he reasons with him. He wants, to bar, you know, he wants him to leave without having to fight. 
But if you're a king with an army and you're on the borders of, of, of the land, yeah, you, he rejected that idea. So the Ammonite king kept pressing it and Judge Jephthah went to lead with an army. Another thing you need to know about Jephthah is that as rough and tough as his experience was, someone taught him about Jehovah. Somebody educated him. And, and he became a believer. And, and so, you know, he had strong faith, but a lot of weak theology here. That, that's what we get to know about, about him, he, because he took God seriously. He refers to Jehovah as, a, you know, that's the covenant name of God more than any other person in the book of Judges. And he goes into battle, and it says in the scripture, the Spirit of the Lord did what? Came upon Jephthah. It's like Paul said in the text that we, that we use for Ephesians. Um, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He goes to worship, and, and then he comes up with this idea. And I imagine this was cultural. I, I want to be sure you're with me, God, so I'm going to swear to you that when I return victorious, whatever comes out of my house first is yours. Whatever comes out of my house, strong faith, weak theology. Now, as I understand this story at this juncture, Jephthah was promising a human sacrifice. Now, the reason I think that is because I don't think they kept pets in those days. I don't think they had dogs and cats. So he said, the first thing that comes out of my house, my dog, my, my pet rover, or, or, or my, my cat, or my parakeet. Now, I don't think so. He's striking a bargain with God, and he wants to impress him with what he's offering. And this was culturally acceptable, and it was a, he was a man of his time, so he did this. Like Paul would later write, he was filled with the Spirit of God, through his Spirit in your inner being. Now the story takes a sad turn. He comes back, he travels up the long road to his house, and what was the first thing out of his house? His only daughter. His only daughter. And I just, you know, I, I go, oh. The awful thing about that vow, you read that, the rest of the story there in Judges 11, uh, verses 34 and following, what happened there. It was sad. It just brings sadness to me because the thing about his vow, he didn't have to make it. You know, if he would have, understood from Leviticus and Deuteronomy that, you know, God did not like human sacrifice. <laughs> he was going to give us a sacrifice, but it wasn't to be one of us. He didn't like that. God forbade human sacrifices. It was practiced totally out of character with God's character, but Jephthah didn't know that. And not knowing the truth about God's character, he sacrificed his daughter. So, what do you think God's judgment is on a man like Jephthah? You really don't need to wonder about that because um, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, that great hall of faith chapter, <laughs> um, all kinds of people are listed there. And these guys had strong faith and a lot of them have very weak theology. But there's listed in Hebrews 11, there's Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And alongside the name of Jephthah, uh, of David, is, are, are three judges, and one of whom is Jephthah. 
God can even use someone with weak theology but strong faith, a willingness to be used. That's every one of us. Now, the other thing I, I've gleaned from this story is that even though he can use anyone, even with our ignorance and weak theology, um, there's something about God that stands out in this story. God may overlook our ignorance, but at the same time, ignorance can do great damage to the people that God loves. I just want that to wash over you for a minute. Ignorance can do great damage to the people that God loves. It was true for Jephthah. It's true for worshipers today. And certainly true for me. My experience after I left here took a turn. And I started to, my, my eyes were, you know, being opened more and more, and my heart was being opened more and more to marginalized, scapegoated population. You know who they are? I, I started prison ministry, and I did that for five years. It, it was uh, three days a week. I'd go out there, and I'd teach classes, and I'd interact with these guys, and they were not Boy Scouts. They were there because they needed to be there. I mean, you know, they were cons. And I had to go through six months of training before I could even do this to, to, to be taught how not to be conned by a con. So in my teaching, uh, I would come across all kinds of, of uh, felons. And one day I was sitting across the table from one guy, and he was, he was telling me how gentle he was with his daughter. And I'm starting to grip my teeth. But I loved her. Uh, and I'm, now I'm wanting to reach across the table and rip his heart out. And it's a good thing I'm not God. I would have done it. But you can't do that. That's the it, most despicable, you know, in, in my head I'm thinking this, thing I've ever heard. On the way home that night, I was, I was angry with God. I was angry at that guy. And I had an epiphany. Truly, the Holy Spirit spoke deeply and clearly to me and said, George, I love him as much as I love you. Ah, no, that cannot be. That cannot be. So my, uh, my, my mind started to, my, my, my worldview started to change. I love people that God loves. And Oasis started to reach out to all kinds of people. We started to reach out to the gay community. Now that's a big thing. Uh, in the Adventist church today, there's books written about it and I, I don't know what's going on. But my heart, if, if God could use Jephthah and George, he can use anybody. As long as there's a willingness to follow. He's not asking anybody to change. 
he does that over time. We, we have this process, you know. We, we want to bring people to the church, and they got to be conformed to a certain set of things until we baptize them. Well, I, that's not what God's deal is. He used Jephthah. <laughs> he could use me. He could use you. He could use the LBGT community. You can. And that makes some of you uncomfortable. But I tell you, when Oasis started reaching out uh, to people that were considered, you know, terrible sinners, if you qualify sin, things started to change for us. I mean, there was an openness, there was a willingness, and people started to come that would have never set foot in a church. Never, ever. <laughs> and, and it became, some people left because of it. But I, I keep thinking that if our view, if our understanding of this world doesn't change, we're missing a whole segment of population that is different from us. I mean, I, was, uh, I got on a committee and they wanted to reach out to Boise. Okay, great. Who do you want to reach out to? You know, well, you know, we want, uh, we want people to look like us, <laughs> that look like us. We want to reach out to them. So I said, okay, I brought one of the guys with me. I said, so we're gonna, you're going to come with me. We're going to walk down the, city of, down the streets of city of Boise at 11 o'clock at night. And we're going to see all the bars, and we're going to see all the people. These are the people that you want to reach. How are you going to do that? Come on, Richland, how are you going to do that? Have you ever walked the streets here when people are out, you know, carousing? And have you ever looked at your community, really? Or are, are, are we expecting just people to come here? Unless you go to them... You are not, you're only reaching a certain segment of population. And to me, that's very sad. I, I, I decided that uh, I was going to get out into the community, so I, I joined a bocce ball league. <laughs> Every, anybody ever play bocce ball? You know, it's that old Italian bowling game. And I met wonderful people that are friends today. I started golfing a lot with guys I didn't know. And they became... That, that was my ministry. You know, my church that I taught to lead freed me to be who I am. I didn't have to worry about all this stuff. And Pastor, I hope that's happening for you. Where are you? Uh, wherever you are. I hope that's happening for you. I hope, I hope this church has gathered around you and equipped you and said, go do what God has called you to do, and we'll worry about running the church. We'll worry about doing church here. I mean, that's the best thing. Anyway, I, I, I even went, when, when Diane was very sick, and she was on a liver transplant list, and she spent a lot of time at Loma Linda. And I would go 10 days at a time and, and be with her, because she was living down there with some friends. And I, I went to a coffee shop in the corner. I, some of you have been to, uh, uh, what's next to Loma Linda? Where? Riverside. No, not Riverside, the other side. Redlands. Redlands. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, I, I found this coffee shop on Orange Street in, in Redlands. It's right down the street from uh, ministry uh, that, uh, what is that ministry? Come on. It's, not, it's Breath of Life, not Breath of Life. What's another one like that? 
uh, say what? Anyway, just down the street from the Redlands Church, there was this coffee shop, and I started going there. And, and I, I, I met people. That's, in fact, when I went, went to Boise, I didn't have an office, so my office was in Starbucks. Starbucks was where I hung out. And I would meet people. And really, really significant, wonderful people that eventually some of them became part of the body of Christ. But in Redlands, there was this coffee shop, and there was also, right next door to it, was a cigar shop uh, where you can go in and smoke cigars. So I, I got, I started, I became friends with these guys in the coffee shop and said, I'm going to introduce you to some other friends of ours. Now, interestingly, most of the people I was introduced to were ex-Adventists. 30 of them, at least. One guy who had a shop next to the cigar shop, had, had a, he was a hairdresser. He's a Greek guy with long hair. He's, and we loved talking philosophy. He'd talk Plato and, and Socrates, and he read all kinds of stuff. And he really liked me, and I really liked him. And, and I found out, listening to his story, you know, if you listen to people's story, that's all it takes. He, he was once married, and he was once an Adventist. But he had to become an Adventist in order to get married. <laughs> Remember those days? You had, had to become an Adventist. And eventually I told him, you know, I, I'm an Adventist pastor. He said, no, you're not. I like you. <laughs> and he said, we had the greatest time. But in that cigar shop, I would go there. And you didn't have to smoke cigars to be in there because there was lots of smoke in the air. I started a Bible study with 30 different guys, most of whom were professional ex-Adventists. They were professional people, doctors, dentists, everybody, lawyers. And I called the Bible study Holy Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the best, it was the best thing. I, you know, I, I, I went back to Boise and I did the same thing. There was a cigar store down on 10th and Bannock and I, I went in there and said, someone to start a Bible study. Okay, the guy was, a, you know, the, the owner was a, a neat Christian guy. So we started another Holy Smoke Bible study. But if you want to reach out to the marginalized, disenfranchised, scapegoated people, you have to go to them. They're not going to come to you. I mean, you can feel nice and safe and warm and comfortable here and never do that. And you'll grow. But you can make such an, a significant impact for Jesus by putting your arms around someone that society has rejected and loving them into wholeness, loving them unconditionally. Not, you know, Jesus loves us that way. Um, I, I, that, that's been my experience. It reminds me of, well, shoot, I'm running out of time, I know. But um, we, we have a new temple in Boise where I live. You know what temple I'm talking about. Just down the street from us, about two and a, half, a mile and a half, there's this big temple with a big gold angel on it, blowing a horn. <laughs> it reminds me, I, right now it just opened, and I swear, people are flocking to it, flocking to this building. It's just a building. Just a building but they're flocking to it. 
And these people are significant people to God because he loves them more than I can ever imagine. And I have to shake my head and go, oh, why, 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 how could you be so deceived? And it reminded me of the story of Jesus when, when he's in the, during the Passion Week, he's entering Jerusalem, and, and I don't know what the disciples thought. You know, he's coming down on a little, little colt, and, and he's riding, and the people are shouting hosannas and praises and hallelujahs, and he, he sees the temple. Remember, as he's coming down, he sees the temple, and he, he weeps over Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I, I would have, you know, gathered you in my arms like a mother hand gathers her chicks. But Jesus enters the temple, and <laughs> um, he scatters what's going on there in the temple. He scatters throughout the courtyard the sheep and the doves and, and, and the coins bouncing on the floor, and Jesus is in the middle of this. <laughs> I don't think he had ever had a problem with the sacrificial system. I, I think the problem was that the din and the judgment of humanity drowns out the prayers of people who need to be there. It, 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 we can get in the way. Our attitude, our judgments, our unlovingness can get in the way of the people that God sees as very valuable. And Jesus saw that. Uh, the temple was to be a place where one could connect. And I have to tell you, it's Jesse, right? I, I felt a connection today because I'm, I'm a Kenesec person. I love worship. And I felt a connection. God, God was here before I ever came, before you ever came to this building. He's been present because he's present with us, right? But when you, when you gather together, as a family, and you have the same goal, and, this, and you're worshiping God, there is an energy that is hard to describe. And it was here. It was here. And thank you again for that, for that experience. But this, this is to be a place where a person can encounter an awesome God. Maybe for the first time. Maybe for the first time. Someone, you may have reached out to and invited, and this is a place where they might connect with the eternal. And, and it was a, it's a place where, the, in, old, in the, the Bible, where the widow and the orphan, the wounded, the despised, the brokenhearted could find acceptance and peace and spiritual healing. It was a place where what was dark in one's life can be brought into the light. It's a place where you get energized. And, and, and strengthened to go out and reach people that matter to God. That's what it should be. Well, in the case where Jesus was, institutionalized religion got in the way. And when he entered Jerusalem, he smashed everything that didn't fit with God's character. You remember the story? He just did away with it. And I have to wonder, church, if sometimes we don't get in the way with our mindset of keeping things intact the way we always have, we've institutionalized religion, I wonder if that's not gotten in the way of the real Jesus, gotten in the way of what he really wants from us. I, I wonder if we've not substituted Jesus' truth 
with our own version of religion. Because when we started at Oasis to reach out to the marginalized and the scapegoated in our community, we got a reputation. Now, oh, you're that church. But you know, when I would go to pastor's meetings, I had eight different wives come up to me and say, you, you embrace homosexuals, don't you? Yes. My son or my daughter has entered a gay lifestyle, and I don't know what to do. And it became, yeah, it's amazing. I, I imagine, given the size of this congregation, there's someone here who has a son or a daughter or a relative that is gay. You know what? Jesus loves them more than you can imagine. More than you can imagine. And he embraces them as he embraces us. And he loves them. I, I have a gay couple in Oasis, Jan and Aaron, who say, George, if it wasn't for you, we would have no safe place to worship. And that's worship needs to be safe, right? So I think if we've sometimes not hampering God's character of love for one another by extending grace, if we have a, a, an opinion about marginalized, scapegoated people, groups, who believe differently than you do, and I believe that sometimes in our ignorance we have shut out the kingdom of heaven to those people, and it's done damage. The Christian church has, has, has done damage to a whole group of people because of our attitude. So I want, I remind myself every day of what Paul says so eloquently in Ephesians, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. That applies to everyone he's created. Now there's, People that don't, don't like that, they won't, won't accept it, but we should, shouldn't we? We're going to sing a closing song. Um, I, I, my prayer for Richland is that we fulfill and continue to fulfill for another, if we're around for another 50 years, to grow, to grow in grace to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ because God loves you. He loves me and he loves the people he created. So rather than get bogged down on, on the fluff that we tend to focus on, maybe we need to get back to the heart of worship. The heart of worship is about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I want to invite you uh, to stand. Yeah, are we ready, Jesse? To, as you sing this song, to let God grow your imagination, to, to let him speak to you personally. Because he knows, you know, God knows all about you more than I'll ever know about myself. And he'll speak to you personally. But we need to come back to the heart of worship. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for how wonderful you are. We have come to worship you in spirit and in truth. May we continue to grow in that experience, Lord. Thank you for the Richland Church and for the part it played in my formation. Each person here, may we grow closer to you, I pray. Thank you for the food that we're about to eat in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name.